It's a love beat with a blunt object relationship. It was actually, he asked me two weeks ago, and I said, yes, one week ago. So <laughs> it took me a while to respond favorably. How many of you guys uh, made a New Year's resolution? Raise your hand real high. Don't be ashamed. Huh? Okay, not too many. All right. Everybody else is smart. How many of you guys that <laughs> How many of you guys that made your resolution have already broken it? <laughs> oh, great. Well, I made a, a New Year's resolution not to make any resolutions, and I haven't broken it yet. <laughs> uh, let's turn to our Bibles in Galatians chapter six. And as you're turning there, I'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. Lord, I appreciate and am humbled by the opportunity to stand in the presence of this church to teach your word and also in the place of uh, such a wonderful pastor as well, Lord. And I pray that you bless him and Barb and help her recovery to be swift, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was pondering about what I should share on today, I considered the fact uh, with the coming new year, many of us may be facing a new season in our lives. We have a, a whole year ahead of us, and as the calendar fills up once again, we may start to feel the pressures and anxieties that come with a busy schedule. And though the year is new, many of us are still recovering from the rush of the holiday season and from the burdens of, of last year. We may and will be tempted to grow slack in our relationship with the Lord and to invest our time and energy in the interests and cares of the world rather than the interests of God's kingdom. Today we'll be reminded that every investment we make this year and for really the rest of our lives will, re- will determine the outcome of our future and the quality of our existence. We'll be reminded of the importance of investing our thoughts and deeds in the things of God that we may experience the abundant life that Jesus promised. And so if you'll look at w- with me Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 through 10. Beginning at verse 7. Paul says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so for this morning's devotion, it's really going to wrap up into two points. The, the title is very simply what the text is, You Reap What You Sow. And if you're taking notes, the two points that we're going to be covering today are, number one, don't be fooled, don't be deceived, and number two, don't give up. I think those are great exhortations going into the new year. So point number one, don't be fooled. Paul says, do not be deceived. It is imperative to guard ourselves against deception. Now, that may seem obvious. Nobody wants to be deceived, but sometimes uh, deception can creep in subtly and even deceive us in the fact that we are not protecting ourselves against deception. Deception leads to incorrect and unfavorable thinking and behavior. There are many passages in the Bible that warn us about being deceived. I'll be sharing a lot of scripture today. 
I like to let the Word of God do most of the talking. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8 warns us, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. And those philosophies can come to us through our educational system, through the media, and even through our own fallen nature and interests. 1 Corinthians chapter nine or 6 and verses 9 through 10 says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. We also find that it's possible to uh, deceive ourselves as well. James chapter 1 and verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. We must protect ourselves and others from deception that leads to incorrect thinking. And how do we do that? Hopefully by the thing that you're holding in your hand this morning, the Word of God. The Word of God. The Bible is my standard, it's my plumb line, my security. It protects me and I think those who study it and abide to its principles from deception. Kind of like um, if you have, you go to a place where they uh, have security that has a black light and they check either your identification or some places will check money to discover whether or not it's counterfeit or credit cards. Well, the Bible, the light of the Word of God, exposes lies and deception for what they really are. And as you abide by its principles and precepts, you'll be able to keep yourself from deception. Paul goes on to say, and he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You may be able to fool yourself, but you cannot fool God. There's absolutely nothing that can downplay the holiness or sovereignty of God. He will carry out perfect justice with every individual, so be careful not to mistake his patience for leniency towards sin. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 9 says, Fools mock at making amends for sin. Proverbs 21-24 says, The proud and arrogant man, mocker, is his name. He behaves with overweening pride. God will deal with the mocker, and his mouth will be shut, and his wickedness will be stopped. There's only one time that God allowed himself to be mocked, and that was for the payment of our sins upon the cross. In Luke 18-32, we see that Jesus says of himself, The Son of Man will be handed over to the Gentiles, they will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And he did that for us. It is impossible for you or I to profess faith in Christ while living a life in a rude gesture toward God. This is a contradiction. God does not turn a blind eye towards sin. There will be consequences. God is not mocked. Paul goes on to say, A man reaps what he sows. It's a standard principle in creation that whatever seeds you plant from that seed, you will produce the like kind. You will receive the fruit in kind. If you plant apple seeds, for example, you'll get apple fruit. If you plant orange seeds, you get orange fruit. If you plant grape seeds, you get... No, you don't get grapefruits. (laughs) 
You get grapes. <laughs> Maybe the wrong fruit. I'm glad you're paying attention, though. God, <laughs> you get grapes. A grape is a fruit, but it's not grapefruit. God promised Noah after the flood, he said, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest will never cease. Genesis 8.22 And the truth is, just as we sow physical seed to the soil, we also sow spiritual seed to our souls. And however you think, speak, and live from your thoughts, speech, and life, you will reap the consequences, either good or bad. As the old saying goes, Many of you may know it. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Proverbs 22.8 says, He who sows wickedness reaps trouble. And Proverbs 11.18 says, He who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. You and I must consider the consequences of everything that we do. Think about your current condition materially, spiritually? Is it good or is it bad? What, you, what did you sow in your past uh, that you are now or will be soon reaping, either now or in your future? What are you sowing now that you will be reaping later? Your present, for the most part, has been decided by your past and your future will be decided by your present. Something to think about. Paul continues... The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. It's really as simple as this. If you live a life of sin, you will be destroyed. That's God's promise. For the wages of sin is death, says in Romans 6.23. And in Genesis 2.17, God said to our first parents, Essentially, in the day that you disobey me, you will surely die. Ezekiel 18.4, God said, The soul who sins is the one who will die. Romans 8, 6 through 8. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. And in that same chapter, verse 13, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the misdeeds of the body. You will live. I must deny by putting to death my sinful nature, or I'll be in danger of destroying my very life. Around six years ago, as Ross pointed out, before that time I was filled with wickedness. I was a liar and a manipulator. I was sexually immoral, a fornicator. I was filled with hatred and bitterness. I was violent and abusive. And I was selfish, and reckless, and careless. And from that, I reaped a life of destruction. My relationships with friends and family were in ruin. I had accumulated massive debt. I was the feature of police reports. I had a pregnant ex-girlfriend. I was on the brink of suicide. And had I decided to take my life, I would have gone straight to hell. I know what it means to sow to the sinful nature and to reap destruction. But by God's grace, Jesus changed all that. He made me a new creation. 
Paul goes on to say, the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. A believer really has two fields, you can think of it that way, two natures in which to sow their seed. If you sow to the sinful nature, you will reap death. If you sow to the nature of the Spirit, you will reap life. That's God's promise. The question is this, which field are you sowing in? Do you know which field you're sowing in? And even more importantly than that, do you even care which field you're sowing in? Let's look at Galatians chapter 5 right there in our text, verse 19. Paul says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Do you belong to Christ Jesus? Have you crucified the sinful nature nature with its passions and desires? You and I must live in a manner that pleases the Lord if we are to experience the blessings that come from obedience, including eternal life, as seen in this passage I also know firsthand the rewards of sowing to the Spirit. Now, as a believer, as a disciple of Christ, I have peace and stability in my life. I have a good relationship with my family. I have incredible, faithful friends. I have an awesome church family. I have a godly and encouraging mentor and pastor. I have a wonderful wife who is more like Jesus than anybody I know. She's the only, only other one that would be willing to put up with me. It's... <laughs> and finally, I have eternal life where I will bask in the love and majesty of my Creator and my Redeemer forever. Moving on to the second point, second exhortation. Do not give up. Don't give up. Paul says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. When we realize the benefits of sowing to the Spirit, it should encourage us and motivate us to continue in that work because we've seen the results so far and we're promised to see the rewards again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33 says, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's always, I made this up, it's kind of a neat saying, it's always right to do a good thing and it's always good to do the right thing. Always. It's kind of a law. You can quote me on that if you want. (laughs) James 4.17 says, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. You and I must always do good, no matter how we feel, no matter what situation we're in, because it's the right thing to do, and we're promised to be rewarded for it. That's God's promise. 
So what are some examples of doing good? If you need them, then you need help, but I guess I would give them to you anyways. Doing good. Jesus tells us it's feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, showing hospitality to strangers, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, and visiting prisoners. You can find that in Matthew chapter 25. The commentator Riken said, Doing good means tutoring the ignorant and picking up trash. It means watching out for our neighbors and helping our community. It also means doing some spiritual good, praying for people and giving them the good news about Jesus Christ. Doing good means doing every good thing that is possible to do. John Wesley summed it up like this, Do all the good you can and all the ways you can to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. And this was, this was Paul's exhortation to us in the next verse. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And keep in mind that having opportunity here doesn't mean that as if you get a chance or you're able to get around to it, or even if you have the means, the implication here is a sense of urgency. If there's an opportunity to do good to someone, do it. Do you, have the, do you have an opportunity that you can think of to do good to someone? Of course you do. Everybody does. The opportunities are endless in this life. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Jesus would say, Do good not only to those who deserve it, but also to your enemies and to those who persecute you. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. Uh, give me a second, allow me a second just to uh, fill up my wife's love tank by saying nice things about her. <laughs> well, a few weeks ago, she was out to lunch with a friend, and they received their lunch, and they prayed over their meal, and shortly after, they heard a group of ladies at a table next to them talking about the Lord, but in an unfavorable way. And if I remember correctly, one of the things they said one of the ladies said was, uh, oh, God sure is loving, all right. That's why he murdered his son. And so Katie, hearing this, of course, was crushing her heart and provoked to wrath. And so she stood up and flipped over their table, started throwing elbows. Punching <laughs> no, she was... It's funny because you know she would never do that. She was provoked to compassion, and so what she did was she made a note saying, Jesus does love you, or God does, is loving, and here's why. A very loving thing. She gave it to the waitress to give to them. And then she told me later, afterwards, she, she realized that I should have paid for their meal. That would have been, that would have been uh, you know, a great witness, but she did good nonetheless. There was another time before we were married uh, we were running out at Alliance Redwoods, the Christian camp out there where Katie used to work for the summer. And we crossed over from Alliance Redwoods into St. Dorothy's Rest and came onto a street, and there was cars parked there. And all of a sudden, Katie finds a $10 bill laying on the ground, and she picks it up. And me, being the covetous, greedy man that I am, instantly I just thought, why is she so lucky to find the $10 bill? <laughs> and as I'm thinking this, she picks it up, and she walks over to the car that's parked there, pulls up the windshield wiper, puts it on the windshield, and leaves it there. And then I'm feeling really convicted. 
Because not only did I want it for myself, but I you know, was thinking to prevent her from doing a good work. The Bible says that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He prepared that $10 for Katie to find. The person who lost it might not be very happy about that. <laughs> but, you know, then I lost $10. So Paul says, Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And I'll wrap up with a quote from Bible expositor John Brown. Christians, therefore are particularly bound to do good to one another. Every poor and distressed man has a claim on me for pity, and if I can afford it, for active exertion and monetary relief. But a poor Christian has a far stronger claim on my feelings, my labors, and my poverty. He is my brother, equally interested with myself in the blood and love of the Redeemer. I expect to spend an eternity with him in heaven. He is the representative of my unseen Savior, and he, considers every, and he considers everything done to his poor afflicted brother as done to himself. For a Christian to be unkind to a Christian, it's not only wrong, it is monstrous. This is my exhortation to you guys for the new year, brothers and sisters. Let us not be fooled. Let us not give up. Let us do good to everyone. And let us love one another continually. For God has promised us that we will reap what we sow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're so good to us. You've given us your word, Lord, that keeps us from deception. We're able to discover the truth and live according to it, Lord, as you reveal it to us in your word. Father, you give us peace and stability. A place, Lord, where we can feel secure and comforted even when chaos is breaking out all around us and Lord we just thank you so much for the grace and salvation offered to us through Jesus Christ and Lord as we begin this new year I I pray Lord that you would help us to not become weary in doing good help us Lord to sow to the spirit the things that please the spirit so that we can reap eternal and abundant life and Lord As we close out this service, I pray that you would just comfort the hearts of those who need comforting. Lord, that you would convict the hearts of those who have been sowing to the sinful nature. Help them to see, Lord, your love and your patience, your grace, Lord, that they may escape that and truly experience the abundant life that Jesus has promised. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Adam. What a miracle to hear those words come out of a mouth that only six years ago was blaspheming God, let alone praising God and teaching his word, and that in a, in a wonderful, uh, skillful, and uh, anointed way. You know, my friends, we are not the only ones who do sowing of seed. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells a little story and an analogy, and he says, you know what, I'm like a sower, I'm like a farmer, and I go throughout the earth, and I'm sowing my seed, the seed of the gospel. 
And you know that seed sometimes falls on the hard ground, and then birds come and pluck that seed away, meaning hard hearts where the gospel can't penetrate. It falls away, and then before you know it, the devil comes and steals that thought of the gospel so that the person cannot be saved. He says, I also sow seed, and sometimes it, it falls on ground, and it looks good, and it shoots up, but you know what? There's no depth. The sun comes out, it gets a little hot, and those are the folks that hear and raise their hand, and they have a few tears, but they never really let the Lord put real, true life in their hearts. And others who have the, the cares of this life and wanting riches and pleasure, that chokes out what could have been life. And then he said, there's good soil, believing hearts that are open. And they hear the gospel, and he says, God puts his seed in their hearts. And that, my friend, is being born again. You have God's life in you. You will never die because God's seed remains in you. Let me read you a couple verses from 1 John chapter 3. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is right with God, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue in sin because God's seed remains in him. You see? So, my friend, if you have not opened your heart and let God sow his seed of eternal life in you, you're you're headed for trouble. You're headed for the grave. Ten out of ten of us end up there. There's no way out of this one alive, folks. (laughs) Except if you allow God to sow his seed in you. And what God sows in a human soul will abide forever. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, what a great example of somebody who was dead and opened his heart and a seed came in and look at the fruit it sprung up in Pastor Adam. And now for you, my friend, who is seeking the Lord perhaps but never become a Christian, you want that seed that remains unto eternal life that will give you a victorious and blessed life. If that's you, you want to repent of your sins and open your heart to the living God, your Savior, this morning. A way good way to start the new year. You just slip up your hand and say, include me in the closing prayer, and you'll start your Christian life today. If there anybody who would like to become a Christian, just slip your hand nice and high. You won't have to come up here or say anything. We'll just say a, a quick prayer with you. Always like to give you the opportunity. So we've got a hand raised nice and high. Anybody else like to drop, uh, join this soul who is allowing God to plant an eternal seed in her heart? All right, we're going to pray what we call the sinner's prayer. If you mean it in your heart, the Lord said, you will be saved. Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. I've been running from you and doing things my own way. I need your help. I repent and open my heart to you. I believe in you, Jesus. 
You came to this earth. You died on the cross. You rose again. You ascended into heaven. You've gone to prepare a place for me. And one day you will come for me. And I will see your face. I commit my life to you now. Cleanse me of my sins. And plant your seed of eternal life in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Father God, we just close out this service with a a prayer for a blessing on our hearts and our homes. May the love of God, the Father, the sweet communion and peace of the Holy Spirit, and the companionship of Jesus Christ, the friend who sticks closer than a brother, would you guard our hearts Make us useful. Help us to to find all those opportunities today to make opportunities, to make a list today. Instead of thinking about poor me, but think about five ways that we could bless somebody and do somebody good today. And we will be blessed as your word promises. We commit this church, our ministry, our hearts and our lives, our homes to you for this new year. May you be well pleased with the lives we are living and the ministry of this church, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't we thank Adam for a job well done? Awesome. God bless you. We'll see you either Wednesday night, Thursday to help tear down Narnia, and Sunday next.